you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Hey! 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 Welcome to Buckets. I'm your host, Matt Moore, senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Want to tell you if you are looking to track your bets this season, whether it's football, NFL, college football, baseball playoffs, or yes. In just less than a month, the NBA, you want to check out the Action Network app. It is the absolute best way for you to track your bets. You click on articles, you get all of our analysis. You click on any game and you get our projections and models. During the game, you're going to get live updated win probabilities for your bets and covers and totals. You can check out what our model says, where the money is coming in, all sorts of awesome stuff. You can track your futures, which I'm tracking all my futures in the Action Network app. You can check out all of this great stuff wherever. You get apps for your mobile device. Find the Action Network app and download it today. I want to tell you about the other great shows on our podcast network. We've got Big Bets on Campus with Colin and Stucky. Guys, look, college football is a lot for me to try and process. I have so much inf- NBA information in my head, and I keep a fair amount of NFL. I cannot begin to process the enormity of college football, and Colin and Stucky do the absolute best job of giving you crack information in a hilarious way. Like They are so on point with everything that they talk about, it's absolutely phenomenal, whether it's you know Mac action, whether it's Liberty, 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 you need to check out the Action Network podcast, Big Bets on Campus. Find that wherever you get podcasts. Check out our fantasy episodes on this podcast with Dan Titus, phenomenal stuff. They had Yovan Bua on on Monday, absolutely phenomenal Lakers writer, known him a ton, a long time. Great information on the Lakers there. Check that episode out. Uh, you got the NFL podcast, which is just the Action Network podcast. Just search for Action Network podcast. The guys that usually join me on this show, Brandon Anderson and Raheem Palmer, they have their own show that runs Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They, they do look ahead lines. They've been really on point. Raheem's putting so much time and energy into his, his contest efforts this season. Uh, Brandon's been red hot in terms of his betting. He's also doing you know bet or lean on every game this season which is pretty impressive. You can find that in the app as well. Check out all those great shows as well as all of our stuff. You can follow us on Twitter at Action Network HQ. We've got lots of live shows. We'll probably be resuming some NBA shows in the next month. So check that out. My guest today is Alex Christensen, who I found through You Better You Bet, a show I go on pretty regularly with Nick Costos and Ken Barkley. Uh, I found him and he is one of the better minds on Twitter when it comes to NBA gambling. You can follow him 
at Noops, N-O-O-P-S. It is, he's an absolute must-follow, gives great information. We broke down the Eastern Conference win totals for this season. We've got best bets at the top, and then we go through each and every team in the Eastern Conference. This is part one of a two-part massive Eastern, or I'm sorry, win totals breakdown. So make sure you guys enjoy it. Rate, review, and subscribe. And here's my interview with Alex Christensen for Eastern Conference win totals. Joining me is Alex Christensen, a.k.a. at Noops. N-O-O-P-S, great Twitter handle. Uh, I first found him on You Better You Bet, where I'm often uh, a guest on the show. I uh, thought he was absolutely phenomenal. He is one of the hosts of Brown Bag Bets and the writer for Ace Previews. Alex, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Matt. Always fun to be on. We were talking a little bit pre-show. There's not enough good NBA talk in the world, and you're one of my few sources for it. So happy to be on and joining you finally. We're going to do Eastern Conference win totals today. We're focusing in on, on that. We're going to hit three of our favorites at the top. And then from there, we're going to go um, and hit just kind of dance around the conference and hit the others that we think deserve some conversation, which will be all of them at some level. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and let you start. What is your absolute number one at the top best bet for win totals in the Eastern Conference this coming NBA season? The Brooklyn Nets over. I was playing them at 55 and a half, 56 and a half is fine. Um, it was a team that I talked a lot about last year. I was very doubtful. You know, those super teams, if you will, in their first year can be problematic. I didn't love some of the injury issues and James Harden and all that stuff. But I think this year, having had an offseason, I expect James Harden to be in shape. We'll get Kyrie Irving's vacation schedule, hopefully early enough where they can plan around it. Kevin Durant looks pretty close to, you know, 80, 85, almost 90 percent of what he once was. You take those three guys, you look at the offseason that they had, being able to add guys like Cam Thomas, being able to add guys like Daron Sharp in the draft. I think Paul Millsap is going to fit really nicely on this team. Hopefully, LaMarcus Aldridge is healthy, but if he plays, that's great. If he doesn't play, they don't really need him. Just a lot of nice little bonuses being able to hold on to Blake Griffin. You look at the rest of the conference, you know, the Sixers have a lot of question marks, not only with how they finished the season last year, but with what's going to happen uh, with Ben Simmons. The Milwaukee Bucks coming off a championship year, I think can still be very competitive, but you know, we remember Kevin Durant's, you know, foot being two inches further back and we we're having a much different conversation about last year, possibly. So I take a look at them again. They're 55 and a half, 56 and a half. And this is one of the more interesting things. And I was curious to see if you know this off the top of your head. On average, for about the last five years, how many teams in the NBA win more than 70 percent of their games, Matt? How many teams? I would say over the last five years, I'll go with eight. Oh, over 70%. It's actually only about two or three teams. I thought it would be really? much less. Yeah. Wow. It looks like there's about two or three teams every year. There's 70%. And then you have a big bunch. And it makes sense mathematically that everyone would kind of bunch between kind of oh, that's 57. You know, 40 yeah, and, I and 60. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're maybe thinking about 60%. But oh. you know, the Nets to me look like a clear choice that puts them at about 57, almost 57, eight wins. I have them at 61, taking a look at their schedule. You know, they have an easier schedule. And it's not just that they don't have to play themselves. As you start to back that out and adjust it, you know, they are in the Eastern Conference. We know that's the easier of the two. They have the least amount of six games and nine night situations, the least amount of five games and seven night situations tied, I think, for the second or third least, three and four back to backs. Yeah. All the stuff looks really good. I expect everyone to be healthy. I was impressed with how they built the team up. So I think we're looking at the number one seed in the East. I bet them to win the Eastern Conference at plus 115. I like any plus money number there, but over 55 and a half or over 56 and a half of the Nets was my favorite. 
So I just finished the write-up on this. It was the first team that I did. I've done Eastern Conference. I'm working on Western Conference right now. And uh, I thought it was like, it's one of my longer ones, even though it's going to be a pass for me. I will say this. I think um, certain books actually let out alternate win totals. And if you can get an alternate win total that is closer to 59 and a half at a good plus number, then I love this number. Like that is what I'm going to be looking for. I don't want it at 55, which is an easier one to get over. I want it at 59 with a little bit higher juice. Um, A couple of notes that I have on this. This is one thing I thought was absolutely like really interesting was um, title favorites have actually gone seven and 12 to the under uh, over the last uh, 20 years. So the, the team with the absolute best chances of winning the title have gone under 12 of out of 19 seasons uh, that I have available on it. Um, I also looked up how often the team with the highest win total, which the Nets do have, how often do they go over? And they've only gone over in four of the last 13. So typically speaking, the market starts high on these teams and it comes out a little high and those teams haven't necessarily held up to it. Um, My only other concern is Kyrie Irving. So Preston Johnson came on this show last week and said like, well, I've heard some weird stuff about Kyrie Irving and like he might retire. And I thought that was very weird and out of left field. And then like the same day, Nick Wright, posted that his agents have said have told teams that if he's traded he'll simply retire which is like a random thing like why would why, why would the nets be trading Kyrie Irving um I'll just say that there can to be like a lot of weird stuff in the league about Kyrie the problem I have with like banking on that and making any sort of play on it is well it's Kyrie like it could be a lot of different things going on with Kyrie and most likely he'll come back and he'll play and everything will be fine. And this team will roll to 60 wins. Like I think your projection sounds like on point to me at 61, but that seems like absolutely crystal. You mentioned the schedule. That's another big reason why I think that there's like a really good chance for taking the over. They just have such a cake schedule. Um, You can really tell that they were one of the beneficiaries of uh, when the league put the schedule together, the Lakers and the Nets are two teams that look like, okay, we're not screwing this up with any sort of scheduled nonsense. <laughs> like Oscar residual has them with the fourth easiest rest adjusted schedule. Um, you mentioned they've just got, they've got 12 back-to-backs more rest advantage games and rest disadvantage games. All of these factors I think come into play there. Um, I go back and forth on this because it's less a matter of, I don't have like a strong case for the under, I only wind up coming up with this, which is we kind of go, well, look, they only had two of the three for most of the season and one of the three for a lot of it last year, and they still hit the over. So if you add those guys in, and that's where I start to go like, whoa, okay. Yeah. Like that's that's where we we go sideways is you can't just add them in. And then a game they won by five, they win by 20. That's not how it works with adding in those dudes. Um, the performances, the, the defense in particular, I think is still a concern. Motivation is my only other remaining factor with them where, you know, they didn't care about the regular season last year and they breezed to the over. And that's why I think the over, if you're, if you're asking for like a play, I do think the over is such a strong one. It's more just this team is so weird, right? It's like, well, they were missing two of the three and yet they still won all these games. Does that seem right? Like, does that seem like 
the a kind of a normal thing. And these are the kind of things that make me kind of nervous. But ultimately, I wind up agreeing with you where I think the over is a play. I want to sh- wait and see if closer to the season I can get an alternate closer to 60. Yeah, I like that play a lot. As we get close to the season, I will be doing stuff like betting them to be the one seed, mm-hmm. you know, betting their alt over. And again, kind of from a high level, I was looking at teams that went over 70%. And what I thought was interesting about the totals in general was I thought this was a low total. I didn't get a chance to go back and see what the highest total is every season. But you know, as I looked at this, you know, that puts them right at a 68% win chance. As I mentioned, it's two to three teams every year that go above 70%. Yeah. Yes, Kyrie Irving, we've got some nonsense about that. And I kind of made a joke about his vacation schedule and stuff, but there's still enough money on the table for him. If I think where he's going to come back and play, he's going to play, I assume, most of the regular season. And I think those kind of issues trickle in later when you get to the playoffs and things like that. And like you said, they had two, maybe one of the guys most of the time last year. I think the team got a little bit deeper. Again, having guys like Patty Mills, being able to hold on to Bruce Brown, I think was really key. Again, being able to get those two guys in the draft, it just looks overall like a slightly deeper team to me. And the schedule looks much easier. Like you said, it's a fairly easy schedule. And although maybe they don't kind of have the, the foot on the gas, again, you know, to get to this total, they have to win 56, 57 games, which I'm right at 70%. You're right. I mean, if I have a chance to take the alt over, I will, but I think this is a solid number. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically banking like the 55 and a half honestly seems too low. <laughs> like it's, it does seem too low. Like they, this team should win upwards of 57 and a half. I think it would be like, a more. I would feel part of it is like, I feel like it's such a trap at 55. <laughs> it seems too obvious, which is how I overthink these things quite often. Um, one team you and I are in lockstep on. And I anticipated when I started doing the research that I was going to take the under. And then I looked at the number for the Washington Wizards and at 33 and a half. And I was like, oh, no. And I did the research and was like, oh, no. And now I'm tied in. (laughs) I'm absolutely going to have to take the over. This is going to be one of my best bets. Why is it a best bet for you? This is another team. I really love what they did from an offseason perspective. With all due respect to Mr. Westbrook, I love that trade for Washington. You know, you take a guy who needs a lot of usage, who isn't a high-level shooter off the floor. You bring in somebody like Kyle Kuzma, who I think we all have forgotten a little bit at how good he was. You know, his first two seasons in the league, we were talking about somebody that was possibly going to be an all-star. I believe he, you know, was almost 20 points a game in his second season. And then LeBron James comes in and, you know, kind of pushes him out, which is fine. He was a great sixth man. He won a championship that was the total right thing for the Lakers to do. But now he's in a chance to be a starter again. There's not really anybody he's competing with for minutes. I think he fits in nicely again. It's going to be a starter from a defensive perspective. You bring him in, you bring in Contavious Caldwell-Pope. You know, not a world beater, but a really nice piece, a really nice guy that you can start. You can bring off the bench. He brings defense. He brings shooting. You know, they have bring in Spencer Dinwiddie, someone that I was thought was probably the most sneaky, good free agent. I was as much as I was excited he went into Washington, I thought he had a chance to go somewhere a little bit better and make more of an impact. But he's going to be a great two way player on this team. We know Montrez Harrell is limited in the postseason, but regular season, it's great to have him for 20 or so minutes a night. And then I said, again, There's no more Westbrook. Everyone is going to be playing more freely. There's more shooting on the floor. There's less having to kind of like deal with his just general nonsense. 
less competition over who's wearing the nicest clothes in press conferences possibly. So <laughs> you look at all this stuff. I think this is a team that has gotten better. The market seems to think they've gotten worse. Yes. I think kind of the middle and low end of the East got a little bit better overall, but as I look at this team, I have them projected at um, 36, I think almost 37 wins, 37 actually wins. So at 33 and a half, that's a really nice edge for me. Happy to play the over there. Yeah, I was surprised because they won at 38 wins per 82. So they at the pace they played at last season, they would have won 38 games. And now this number is four and a half lower. Like that's just you have to believe that that trading Westbrook and the moves that they made and internal development all gets them to four and a half games worse. And I just don't think that you can really get there. I'm not as much of a critic of Westbrook as some people, but he is a, a very large part of, you know, if you break into the numbers on this. Like for most of the first half of the season, pre All Star, they had a minus five point six net rating when Westbrook was on the floor. Like, I, yeah. I can't get around that. I, as much as I work to defend Russ, like, there's no real way to get around the fact that for the first part of the year, which is when they didn't win games, now that's when they had the COVID and everything. But that was a minus five point six. The bigger thing for me is not necessarily like how much of that was Westbrook and how bad is Westbrook, blah blah blah. But my bigger bar is like, well, look, if we take the the core essential parts of last year's team. And we say that there's no COVID, so there's not going to be all those kind of problems. Is losing Westbrook and adding what they did going to, re- especially with Dimwitty, is that going to result in them with a minus? Can they be better than a minus five point six net rating? And the answer is like, yeah, like that's not <laughs> that's not a horrible number for a, a bottom of the East, middle of middle bottom of the East team, uh, or bottom middle, I guess. But it is, I think enough of a low number to where I could say like, look, I expect them to be more the starters to be more in the minus three, minus two. And that ticks up a couple of wins and yeah, easily. And that to me is where it kind of gets in there. A, a name no one is talking about. And it shocks me is Thomas Bryant. Like he was yes. lost the entire season last year. His on-court defensive numbers were absolutely atrocious. However, I like I dug into the stuff, and a lot of it was teams were hitting absolutely everything over Thomas Bryant, way above expected marks. It's one thing if if he's giving up high percentage looks, but he's giving up low percentage looks that are converted at a high percentage rate. Like that's how far I dug into the numbers because I was like, this just doesn't vibe with my eye test. When I went back and watched Bryant, I was like, no, like I think he's doing the good things here, and so. At the end of this, I basically was like, look, they're going to have Gafford and they're going to have Thomas Bryant. That's a solid rotation. Uh, Kuzma was actually pretty good last year. I liked in Woody and Beal. The caveat, the holdup, the one thing that gives you pause is, all right, what if Beal gets traded? Like That's the, that's the hold. Um, I reported this last year, and it was, it was kind of out there. Beal didn't want to get traded during a pandemic season. That was his big thing. He didn't want to get tra- He did not want to have to adjust to a new city during a pandemic. Uh, and in my preview that I wrote, I wrote, well, look around you, Helen. We're at the threshold of, of hell still. Yeah. Like, that's not better now. Things aren't fixed. And so I don't know that his position on that will necessarily have changed. And additionally, I kind of wrote that, like, look, even if he gets traded, this number is low enough that they might be within range of hitting the over by the time he gets traded anyway. And then they have enough of a, of a sample of games left for them to hit the over. So to me, this is really low. Uh, I think I was really surprised when I saw it at 33 and a half. And I love that's best bet for you. Yeah, I think you're right. What we're seeing here is the market overestimating or 
overvaluating the chances of Beal getting moved. Like you said, I don't think Washington's really looking to move him. I also wonder how he's going to feel being kind of the top dog again with Westbrook moving out. This is his team. He kind of gets a chance to take over and be the guy. And also, like you said, if he gets traded and it's after the all-star game, if they're within the neighborhood of 500, you know, this over is pretty much already taken care of before he leaves. And um, I also like what you said about Thomas Bryant. I forgot to mention him. I'm excited to see what he can do when he comes back. Him, Gafford, and Harrell, I think, give them a nice little three-man rotation. So overall, it's a pretty solid team, and I think that they'll be one of the ones to rise above that kind of middle bottom of the East that's going to be interesting this year. What's your last best bet in the East? So, you know, we talked about the Nets and the fact that historically there's always teams that are over 70%. There's also teams every year that are less than 30% win percentage and somewhere near like the 25% win percentage range. And as I look at this year, I think the clear candidate for probably the worst team in the league, if not just the East, the Detroit Pistons, I'm seeing their total at 25 and a half. I have them projected at 21 22, depending on which draft I look at, I've tweaked some things over the last couple of weeks, but 21, 22 wins comfortably below 25 and a half. You look at the roster, it's very hard to get excited about really what these guys have. It's a bunch of young players. We'll see kind of what they turn into. But, you know, again, it's another season where the best player on the floor for them is probably going to be Jeremy Grant. We'll see what Kate Cunningham does as a rookie. You know, it's him. You know, they've got Killian Hayes. They'll probably start. I like Sadiq Bay. I'm a Philadelphia guy. I'm a Villanova guy. I'm a Jay Wright guy. I watched a lot of him. I think he has all the tools to be a good player in the league at some point. Is there someone in Detroit that's really going to take him and grow him? And then you've got Jeremy Grant. Again, love Jeremy Grant. Love watching him play. He's a great story. He is one of the successes of the process that will go unforgotten when it's all said and done. What a great opportunity for him and how he took advantage of it. But then you look at the center position, Isaiah Stewart. Are we going to play Kelly Olenek every night at starter? We've got a lot of Hamadou Diallo minutes. That does, that does, that's not a thing. Um, Josh Jackson, a lot of Josh Jackson minutes. I don't know how excited I am about that. I just think this team is just going to be really rough. It's going to be a lot of young guys trying to figure out what they're doing. Expectations are low, and I don't think that they'll mind having a bad record as well. So I'm looking at a team I expect to tank, have all the tools to tank without even really trying, and a team, again, that looks about three, four wins over projected to me. I think this will be a, a the basement team in the league probably. So I'll go under on the Pistons. You mentioned the number of teams that wind up beneath a certain mark. And that to me is part of the thing is if you look at any of the projection models, but even if you just, if you just kind of think about how our team's going to kind of filter out in terms of wins, there's kind of like two ways to look at how the parity is going to be expressed this season. It's either going to be a, a thick middle with a bunch of teams where nobody's really great except the top teams, or you're going to have like a healthy chunk of teams that are really good, but not great. And a healthy chunk of teams that are, not great, but not terrible. But that does mean that in both situations, you have these tails and there will be these teams that are going to be in the in that discussion that will be in the tanking conversation that will be minus, below 25 wins. And if you're looking at that and you're saying, well, we have to have a number of teams in that conversation, maybe the, the first or second team that you're going to come up with is the Detroit Pistons. They have the second youngest roster. Young teams don't win. That's a big part of my model. Like all the time is like, I want to look for teams that are young and those, those teams, I think, really struggle. Um, you know, I like adding a Linux, but I like adding a Linux if you're a contender, if you're a really solid team. I don't add, like adding a Linux and being like, hey, gonna need you to figure out a bunch of things with a bench unit here all the time there, Kelly. Like, 
I'll be looking at stuff like I want to see how Detroit does in second quarters to bet them in certain situations. Cause I think that Corey Joseph and Kelly Olenek will probably have a Patty Mills and Yaka Pertle type effect on the team where they'll be better. And the line will probably not reflect how much better the bench unit is, but here's one of the things they lost three of their top five players in win shares from last season when they were terrible. Like Mason Plumley is a key loss for them who they traded I love Mason. I cover Mason in Denver for several years. Really solid dude. Humble guy, works hard. If I'm saying that, boy, are they going to miss Mason Plumley? you are in trouble. Like, that is a dangerous spot to be in. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you. I think the under is the play. I am, I'm going to pass on it only because I think when we get to this 25 and a half spot, the middle 20s, I just wind up feeling like, man, if they get into, it, it gets so wonky by the end of the season where they tank, but they're not always tanking and they're just playing right. the young guys and the young guys can catch other teams that are worse. Tanking versus resting. Yeah. And then, and that whole thing. And I mean, you look at like the, what the Clippers did last season, it's an, it's enough of a narrow margin and Cade, I, I am a little concerned about as a guy that raises a floor. Um, but if you're going to play it, I think you absolutely have to play the under I'm with you there. So your three yeah. best bets are the Brooklyn Nets, over uh you did you find it at 55 and a half or did you get 56 i found 55 and a half i don't mind 56 and a half obviously i prefer 55 and a half but both are okay yeah washington over 33 and a half and pistons under 25 and a half um i have washington on my on my overs on my best bets another team that i have on my overs for best bets and it's interesting you have them actually pegged exactly on um their win total at 44 or i'm sorry you have them at 44 which is only one and a half over their win total but you do have them on the over and that's the indiana pacers um i think the pacers look my the thesis for this pick is bad coaches we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago on the show bad coaches do more harm than good coaches do good but the value over replacement of how that team played for nate bjorkren versus how they will play for Rick Carlisle is just massive. Like Rick's championship experience, that whole thing. There's a little bit of concern because sometimes those guys, the veteran guys can have a little bit too much uh, expectation of like, you're just going to listen to me because I want a title and why don't you listen to me? But this roster is really good. And if we look at it, they lost the eighth most games to injury last season, according to mangameslost.com, the third most win shares. Like Miles Turner missed 25 games. Karis LeVert had all of that stuff with to deal with. Uh, missed 25 games of it. Brogdon missed 15. Like he missed a surprising number of games. They've yeah. got the sixth easiest rest adjusted schedule per positive residual. They've got the third most rest advantage games in the league. They're middle of the pack on back-to-backs and travel and everything else. Like this all is set up very well. And the number is only 42 and a half. So I'm very high on the over for the Indiana Pacers. I think this project's more as like a 45 to 47 win team this season in the East. Uh, the concern I think is that I've got a bunch of teams that are, that it looks like I'm basically saying that the East for the first time in forever is actually going to be full of really good teams, which that's what the paper says. I'm concerned that once again, we're going to be like, oh, no, the East is like three teams and then a bunch of like, Meh. and then the Pacers are in the less than Meh category. But I, I I just look at 42 and a half and I think that, the, that Carlisle, the moves that they've made, young talent improving, Sabonis, better injury luck. This all points to, I think, them being above 42 and a half. Similar to what you said about the Nets and, you know, your desire there for an alternate total over as opposed to what you're actually seeing now. I kind of feel the same way about this one. Um, Yes, the injury should be better, but 
you keep looking at this roster. Karis LeVert is an injury guy. He's injured all the time. I hope he stays healthy, but he just doesn't. Turner misses a bunch of games every year. We'll see what TJ Warren looks like when he comes back. If they can get that starting five, again, Brogdon, LeVert, Warren, Sabonis, Turner together, you're looking at a team, I think, with enough shooting, a lot of versatility, a high level of defense. I think Sabonis is one of the more underrated players in the league. I don't know if he has a chance to be you know, the best player on a championship team, but I think he has a chance to be one of the best players on a championship team. And if, if this all fits together, I think you're right. You're looking at a 45, 46 win team. There are certain versions of things where I run up and take a look at them and they're like a top four, top five seed. They kind of do what the Knicks did last year, basically kind of replace them in that particular spot. But I'm a little concerned about the injuries, curious to see kind of how that all goes. So I do lean towards the over, but, you know, again, like you said, with the Nets, I'll pass on this and wait to see if maybe I can get like an all total later. I like that play. Uh, my last like best bet is the Orlando magic under um, they have 900 guards and the best one of them is Jalen Suggs. But my problem is if your best player is probably Jalen Suggs, then, and he's got 800 guards he's competing with Mark Fultz, Gary Harris, Cole, Anthony, uh, Jalen Suggs, RJ Hampton, like they have to find minutes for all these guys, even if they sit Harris as a buyout candidate or trying to trade him or whatever, or he's not in the plans, they're still stacked to where they've got all these guys that they have to get minutes for. And having young guys as your lead ball handlers is always kind of concerning because it leads to more turnovers. It leads to, you know, none of these guys are necessarily crack shooters outside of Suggs. So I think that causes some concern for the offense, you know, we don't know what to expect from Mosley. I don't have like a whole, uh, he could be great, but he's a, a total unknown for me coming in with his reputation. Um, the other thing that really tilted me towards the under here was every year the league finds a team that has made it clear that their intention is not to win, that they have a bad roster and are probably going to be tanking. And the league goes, look, well, if you're losing anyway, we're just going to stick you with the worst raw worst schedule in the league. And that's definitely what they gave the Orlando magic. I mean, it's, it's brutal. They've got the toughest strength of schedule, according to positive residual. They've got the second least rest advantage games. They have the most back-to-backs. Uh, they have the second most miles to travel behind Miami among all the East teams. Uh, they play the Heat and the Hawks four times. It's a tough division now. The Hornets are better. We talked about the Wizards being probably an over team. They start with 22 of their first 37 games before New Year's, before January 1st. 22 of 37 are on the road. So by the time that the schedule balances out, they'll already be tanking. They will already have pivoted and be transitioning to go in the other direction. Um, I don't have, like, I haven't seen Jonathan Isaac play in what feels like a millennia. Uh, Mo Bamba has basically been banished from the face of the earth and they are actively trying to find ways around him. <laughs> Wendell Carter Jr. had really good numbers with the Magic to end last season. However, his time in Chicago told an entirely different story. He was always a net negative and I kind of lean towards that. I can't pinpoint anything that the Magic are going to be good at. Like their best player in terms of veteran experience adjusted for like talent is... Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross. Like, yikes. So I, <laughs> I, I don't have a model to, to project out wins. I have them pegged right now uh, for 13th. So, so pretty, low. Pretty, 
pretty low on the old Orlando <laughs> Magic this season. Couple digits. Uh, yeah, and so I, I to me, I don't see any way that they get to twenty two and a half wins. I can't see them necessarily breaking twenty one. Like twenty would be a ceiling for me. I'm willing to be wrong on this. Uh, that's a lot of where I get to with bets. Is like, are you willing to be wrong? I'm willing to be wrong on this. I'm taking the under on the Orlando Magic. <laughs> I agree with you on the end. I'm going to say something that might sound counterintuitive that in a second. It is not a good team there. Like you said, you know, we just agreed that Terrence Ross is probably the best player on this team. Um, it might be Jalen Suggs, but it's hard to say that about a rookie. What I will say is this team is bad more than it's good. But as I start to look at things and tweak things and, you know, talk to people and have them help me with some of the simulation stuff, there's these random points at which they sort of pop. Like you said, they started the road, which is difficult, but if they can make it through that part of the season, being solid, letting these, you know, young guys come together. And I do wish they had a coach that we knew a little more about it. We'll see what Mosley has, but you know, what I see is they do have a lot of guards, but I think that's a good thing. You know, the way the NBA is evolving over the last couple of years, you look at the best teams that are all guys with two and three and four, sometimes ball handlers, guys that can take, the ball that can create shots that can attack the basket that know what they're doing as opposed to teams with sort of one traditional point guard and one traditional shooting guard like we had seen for a long time you look at kind of what phoenix did I, I think that's really interesting you look at kind of what utah did that's really interesting the bucks to a point had a couple different ball handlers in that team with the way that they use middleton especially in the playoffs and We'll see if Markel Fultz can come back healthy. He's someone that I was optimistic about last year, um, had a solid end to the season before that came out, had a really nice eight games and then, you know, blew out his knee, I believe. Again, I haven't double checked in a while. So we'll see how he looks when he comes back. I like Cole Anthony a lot. I think he's very talented. Obviously bringing in Suggs seems a little odd, but it's going to go one of two ways. Either it'll be three young kids fighting against each other all the time or having fun working together and kind of building a culture in this locker room, because this really isn't anybody's team. There isn't really anybody left here, but you give me again, Fultz, Cole, Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, Terrence Ross, you know, um, what I see really is, I mean, even Franz Wagner, who they drafted, it's a lot of talented guys that can do a lot of different things, not necessarily Wagner. He doesn't really have the multiplicity, either defensively, offensively, or the offensive versatility of some of those guards. But it's guys that can do a lot of things. They're going to be fighting for minutes, fighting for spots. You know, again, as someone that watched a lot of the process teams, I mean, I don't care how much you're tanking. Those guys are trying. They're going to be playing hard. And I don't think this roster is as bad as some of those teams were. And that's, I think, you know, how bad I think people are expecting them to be. But I bet them to make the playoffs at 14 to 1 odds. Again, I I don't think they go over. I'm not going to bet that. Maybe I'll bet like an adjusted one at some point. I'll talk myself into it. But as I look at stuff, that that should be like 8, 9 to 1, not 14 to 1, somewhere in that range. And as I start to tweak it also for what to expect this season, you know, as you mentioned, we had COVID last year. We're still going to have COVID this year. And not only that, it's a full 82 games after a shortened offseason, after a short season that was jammed in with almost no off season. You know, we continue to build upon this. I don't think we're done with all the injury nonsense we saw last year, or the year before. I think it's going to be just as bad with teams having to play 82 games and things like that. And a team like the magic are going to bring a level of consistency, you know, it's not a level of good consistency, but it's a level of consistency. Can they be the Charlotte Hornets from last year? If they mm. are, then they have a chance to get in that playing game scenario. And at 14 to one, I've got a lot of equity. Is is there any player that's as good as Gordon Hayward on this roster? 
No, but Gordon Hayward didn't play that many games. Sure. I mean, did he sure. play he was half the season, a third of the season? He was responsible for for a lot of the wins that they did, they did get. That's the problem. Is like you're not the, wrong. I mean, Charlotte was definitely a better roster head to toe, and, and this team obviously, you know, somebody would have to take yeah. a real big step forward, even to be as good as Lamelo Ball was last year, or guys like Devontae Graham. But I just I look at teams that were able to be eight, 10, 12 guys deep. Those are all the teams that exceeded expectations last year. And obviously they're not as good as a team like Charlotte or even, you know, the better version of that would be a team like Memphis. We saw what they could do last year. Um, you know, having 10 to 12 guys, no matter who's hurt, no matter who's playing, it's a pretty consistent level. So if Orlando can do kind of a poor man's version of that, what I think will be kind of an open, ugly bottom of the East, maybe they can sneak in there and get that 10 spot now that we got 10 teams. Does the play-in, did you get them to make the play-in or to make the playoffs? To make the playoffs. So once I get, if they do get to the play-in, I probably will start to look at some positions to get out of that or, you know, do something with that later on. Again, people feel different ways about futures. Some, I bet, approaching with the idea, I'm just leaving this. I don't really care what happens. Others are, I'm taking this now, knowing that later on I might have a chance to do something with it. And that's kind of my plan here. I'm definitely in the, in the latter category on that. Um, Okay, so let's bounce around a little bit on some of these other these other teams. Let's start in the central. Um, you've got the Bucks as uh, projected for an under, which I thought was interesting. My basic thing is I think it's a pass because the number at fifty four and a half is is so high that it's not outside of the range of of comfort for me. Um, my, I also just have like an alternative play. If you think the Bucks are going to go over, we talked about this on the MVP pod, but if you're just going to, if you think the Bucks are going to win more than 55 games, just bet Giannis to win MVP at eight to one. Like that's the alternative. I think there's better value on betting Giannis at eight to one to win what MVP. Bud, if you, they're going to Bud coach of the year at 20 to one. Ooh, not bad. Okay. That's what I, I was looking at today. That's, that's an interesting one. Okay. But you haven't actually projected for the, for the under, I assume most of this is just because the bench isn't as good as it was, as it has been the last couple of years. And their performance last year, like did suffer a little bit in terms of regular season performance, uh, especially for, they were a little weaker versus the bad teams. And that's always my indicator for a strong regular season team is who's good versus the bad teams. And they're a little weaker because of that bench unit. Is that mostly where this comes in as? Yeah, it's a lot of that. It's it's a lot of what we learned last season. It's honestly a lot of the reasons that I have respect for Coach Bud. I mean, he, he was a guy that a lot of us took turns kind of poking fun at. But last year, we saw him take a completely different approach. Instead of trying to beat everybody by 20 points every night and have the most wins in the regular season, he looked at his team and went, I'm going to take my time. We're going to keep everybody healthy. We're going to try little things here and there. They actually made some defensive scheme switches during the year to try some stuff, which I thought was interesting. And I expect it to be a lot like that again this year where – Yes, this is a really talented team. You know, their top three is as good as just about anybody's top three in any night. They're going to win a lot of games just based off that. But I don't think, like you said, given the way the bench is a little bit thinner and then given the way Budenholzer is going to approach the season, I expect them to have a little bit um, less wins. And as I look at their schedule, you know, they don't have, again, a ton of six and nines, five and sevens, but they're close to the most three and fours. They have a good amount of back to backs. Um, You know, a lot of the big games that they play are, are in tough travel spots. It's just it's not a terribly easy schedule. And I don't think it's a team again, that's going to be striving to have regular season greatness, but I like what you're saying. You know, if you are going to bet this team to go over, 
you know, we've talked about alt totals. Obviously, that's something to look at. But I think you're right. There's value in Giannis to be MVP. I think people are really sleeping on that. And then as I looked at Coach of the Year again, I, Coach Bud is 20 to 1 or better at a few places. And, you know, as you look at Coach of the Year, they have a chance to be a top five team in the league. They have a chance to beat their regular season win total. And they actually have a chance to win more games than they won last season. That basically is all the check marks you need to win Coach of the Year. So mm-hmm. you're looking at somebody like that. I think, you know, that's similar to what you're doing with Giannis MVP. And I like that. That's a good way to use a derivative market to get a better number. The Chicago Bulls, this is my, my spiel on the Bulls on every show I've gone on, is you have to decide whether you like this roster or not. That's it. Like, you just have to, because... Exactly. If, if you look at this and you're just like, I don't really like how this fits. Like, Levine's not that... It like, had an outlier, and DeRozan is DeRozan, and... You know, Lonzo has a lot of complications in terms of his skill set, and Vooch is not good defensively. Um, you can talk yourself very easily into the under. I wind up like I, I just basically like came. I looked at the entire thing and was like, no, I like this. This is, I think this is going to work. My premise for the Bulls over forty two and a half, and I'm with you. You told me that you bet this, and I bet too. The number is, has some a lot of the value has gone out of it, but the number on the Bulls to make the playoffs. I think is very good and it might be better than the win total because they might win 42 games exactly and still make the playoffs. Um, Look, I think Billy Donovan can build a good defense. No, can build a decent defense, even with bad personnel. We saw Frank Vogel and Steve Clifford do this in Orlando with Vucevic where Vucevic is not a good defender, but if you have guys that know how to play drop scheme, which I always talk about, you could build a good regular season defense. It's what everybody runs. Vuce knows how to play drop. He knows exactly where to get to in his steps. He's not going to make, if they drag it out and force him into a switch, he's toast. If he has to play at the level, he's toast. If he has to make multiple rotations, he's toast. And it's not even necessarily with him about like mental awareness. He's not a a mentally slow basketball wise. I want to stress that player. He's a high basketball IQ guy. He just can't physically move fast enough to make multiple rotations. He doesn't have the athleticism. But look, if you're looking to play scheme, here's what you want. You want guards that get over the screen. Okay, you might struggle with that a little bit, but you want help from the corners from guys that know how to anticipate, help down to either tag the roller or pressure the ball handler and then recover to the outside. Patrick Williams, Lonzo Ball, that's exactly what I want. Like those two guys are like, I like Lonzo in those spots more than I like Lonzo on ball. And so that's, I think that they can get to between 17th and 13th defensively. Those two things combined with, I believe in Zach Levine and the jump he made last year. I like Lonzo as a third playmaker slash off ball shooter. He's developed a lot there. Uh, Patrick Williams looks like a beast at summer league. I think he makes a leap. DeRozan had the second most efficient mark for ball handler at pick and roll last season of any player with at least 500 possessions. The list was Kawhi Leonard one, DeMar DeRozan two, with a cast of characters in San Antonio that doesn't exactly make you quake in your boots. He's got better weapons now. So this looks like a top 10 to maybe top five offense to me and a top 17 to 13 defense. That to me is enough for them to to look at that and say like, all right, that's going to look like a point differential that gets me enough over to where I'm going to look at them and say like, all right, they're winning 44 to 46 games. Again, if you go the other way, I can't stop you. I just think that everybody's kind of got to look at this team and decide, do you believe, or do you not in what they've built? 
Yeah, I like what they built. I think it is going to be a fun team. You know, from a night-to-night perspective, I'll be betting a lot of their team total overs earlier. I'll be looking at overs in their games because I think, like you said, they have a chance to be a great offense, but we'll see what they can do defensively. I wonder if at any point they can talk to Rosen into going to the bench. Um, I think him coming in as like a six man would be really tremendous for them. I mean, even if he has to start, you can kind of pull him early in the first quarter and use him that way anyway. Um, but they bring in Lonzo Ball. You put him next to Zach Levine. That's a really nice player to put next to Zach Levine. Lonzo Ball is going to do a lot of the stuff that Zach Levine's not interested in doing, but and he has a lot of size. So now you have two guards with a lot of size. We'll see what Kobe White can do off the bench, maybe with less pressure in that situation is better for him. I like Alex Caruso. I think he's going to be nice night to night in the regular season. He's going to be a good presence in that locker room. He just brings a lot of professionalism. You know, Patrick Williams, I'm with you. I think he's just going to keep getting better and better. Um, And I like Vucevic. I've always been a big Vucevic fan. I I loved him when he was on the Sixers. I liked him when he was on the Magic. And and you're right. He's not the best defensive player in the world, but he's intelligent. He knows where to be. And offensively, he's about as good as anybody on that end of the floor. He can shoot. He can pick and roll. He just is going to make a lot of things work. And I think they just struggled last year to get any sort of rhythm and get anything kind of put together for themselves, if you will. So I think having an off season with, you know, Zach and um, Vucevic getting to be together with the um, improvements that they made. I like that team. I have them right basically on their win total. I would lean towards the over. I better make the playoffs. My only concern here is, is I've said it a couple of times already too. I mean, that middle chunk of the East, like if, if the Raptors put everything together, is this team any better than the Raptors? Like, how's that going to go? As you start to compare that team, like, to the Raptors, you start to compare that to a team, say, like, the Knicks. Can they be better than the Knicks? Yes. Can they be worse than the Knicks? Yes. It's It's been really hard for me to figure out kind of that middle section. Indiana, I would put in there as well. Uh, Chicago, obviously. I, I think Boston's probably above that at this point. That team's overall pretty solid. But that last chunk of kind of Eastern Conference teams, I'm, I'm curious to see the guys fighting for 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, how – I don't know if there's that big of a gap there. And like you said, at 42 and a half, I need them to win more than half their games. It probably happens. I don't know how great I feel about it, I guess. Uh, Cavs are a stay away from me at where they're slated at 26 and a half, I believe is their mark. Um, yeah. Yeah. 26 and a half. You got them at 27. So uh, are you with me that this is a stay away? I feel like this is a team where yeah. I, I lean towards the under because I think that they could wind up tanking. But they have some some trade options. They do have some talent. They have some guys that can make a leap. Darius Garland, maybe Sexton goes to another level. Maybe they trade Sexton and get Ben Simmons, and that raises the floor. Uh, there's like a lot of like different scenarios where this works out for them. I just don't – the number is not enough to where – if it was like 29 and a half, 30, I'm looking under. If it was 22 and a half, I'm probably looking over. But at 26 and a half, I just don't like it. I'm staying away. Yeah, I think this is another team that has kind of a wide range of outcomes, especially on the upper side. I think they can sneak into that bottom group of East teams I'm talking about. If Garland's healthy, if Sexton's healthy, Kevin Love's interested, Okoro's a solid player. They've got Jared Allen, who they're, I think they're going to try to play with Mobley and do some stuff like that. Um, it's just a team that could be really solid, but another group of guys that have been injury problems for the last couple seasons, another team with a lot of question marks around, A, how happy is everyone there, even besides Kevin Love? Everyone's been in trade talks all summer. So, yeah, too much unknown for me both ways to, to get involved in this team. Would lean under, but I think, like you said, and, and we talked about, there's a lot of ways it could, it could be better than worse. So you mentioned the Raptors and how good they could be. You have them pegged pretty solidly for the over. I think they were probably pretty close to a best bet for you. 
35 and a half is the number for the Toronto Raptors. And everyone looks at that number and goes like the Raptors, like the Raptors with all that talent with the like, with Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam and uh, OG Ananobi, like that team is going to go sub 30. Um, I'm staying away for a very specific reason. Masai Ujiri has come out and made several comments over the offseason about how the plan is not to win this season. That's not the goal of the franchise. He re-signed long-term. He is not on a time crunch. He doesn't have to maximize any of these players' windows. He's not looking at it and like, I've got Pascal Siakam. I have to win now. That's not what's happening. And so, to me, there is a very good chance. They were, they were extremely active at the trade deadline and before the draft looking to trade though, not all, but some of those three guys, they, they've had conversations on all of those three key guys, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet for various deals that would position them better for the future by building around a superstar. Like I reported that the Raptors were one of the more serious teams with the Sixers. Like that, that interest is considered to be, Legitimate. I haven't followed up on that. So that could have been gone. The Raptors could have just moved on with their lives. I think that there's a possibility they come back to that though, given that the Simmons situation continues to be poisonous in Philly. Um, if they do do that trade, I don't look at it and go like, well, you had Simmons to this team. Well, no, because if you do that trade, Pascal Siakam and probably one of Fred Van Vliet, Doji Ananobi is probably gone to Philly. And then you're talking about Simmons and one of those guys. And I don't like that team nearly as much. I don't want to go ahead and project out the over because I don't, or the under, because I don't want to, I don't want to go against Masai Ujiri. I don't want to go against their development staff. I don't want to go against Nick nurse, but I can't feel good about an over contextually given what they've indicated about where the future of the franchise is. Uh, you're right. You have stuff like that little stuff like um, Goran Dragic's comments about yep. going to Toronto and not really being thrilled about that. Yep. If we put all that aside, it's just another team that I see with a really deep roster full of talent. Yes, they lose Kyle Lowry, but we'll see how much Kyle Lowry has left. Again, as another Philadelphia Villanova J. Wright guy, I love Kyle Lowry, think the absolute world of him. But all the great leadership stuff he was doing, he leaves that behind. That is imprinted on basically everybody on this roster. Fred Van Vliet, we know, is very good. Gary Trent Jr. has showed the ability to be a solid starter in this league. I think OG Ananobi is someone that got tripped up by injury two years ago. And then last year, a little bit and, and Toronto, you know, Ujiri, you know, not really being interested in winning too many games kind of shut him down earlier than needed to be. I think he has a chance to be very good. Pascal Siakam really can't be any worse than he was last year. They're one of the only teams in the league with sort of two solid uh, rim defenders and Ken Birch and Chris Boucher, which again, not the best centers in the world, but quick guys know what to do in a pick and roll for the most part, know how to protect the rim. I really like the addition of Scotty Barnes. And, and we'll see if, if, Again, it really comes down to how much being at home matters. You know, they played the entire year last year outside of their country. They did not go back to Canada. Um, I think maybe they might have gotten a chance to go for the All-Star break or something, but they had no home games. They played every game in Florida, basically, was where their home games are. They're going to have a chance to be home. They're going to be comfortable. They're going to have that crowd. They're going to have that travel advantage. We all know how good the travel advantage against Toronto is. It definitely has an effect on Mr. Embiid and a couple other guys, that's for sure. So hmm. as I look at a team, I see a pretty talented team with guys like Ananobi, who I think is you know kind of being slept on. I took him to win most improved 
player this year at a pretty nice number. I think Siakam is only going to be better. I think that he really struggled being out of Toronto and kind of having to take a, a bigger role. I think Van Vliet's going to be solid like he is every year. So if Gary Trent Jr. can be solid, if they can get good minutes out of Barnes, if they can keep Drogic engaged and, you know, again, Burge and Boucher could be solid defensively without killing the offense. I think you see a team with, again, Nick Nurse and with what Ujiri might be able to do in a trade for the positive. You know, maybe he looks at this team and goes, you know what, we're pretty close. Maybe we can sneak into the back end here, yeah. make some noise without giving up too much stuff. So you know, as much as he might sell the farm, I think he is someone that's going to change his plan. So it's a fairly talented roster. But like you said, I've got him projected to go over. I haven't bet it yet. I was looking at maybe them to make the playoffs. I wonder if that's a better wager than this. So I'm bullish on the Raptors. I just don't know if I'm bullish on them from a futures perspective. I expected to, to go in and bet on Knicks regression. I thought the market would be like, oh, it's the Knicks and it's public team and it's going to be super high. And then I looked and it's 42 and a half. Um, you've got this a little bit under. I got to tell you, I'm going over. Um, look, I just think that a lot of this is Tibbs's floor is, is 500. That's kind of it. Is if you give If you give Tom Thibodeau good veteran players – not even good veteran players. If you give Tom Thibodeau not bad veteran players, right. he's going to get them to 500. The Their effort advantage night by night in the regular season is so much higher than everybody else's. Uh, they, to me, uh, like, they had a lot of things go their way the last season. They're going to be worse than last year, but I don't think that they're going to be 42, and a half, 42 wins. I think they're going to be 43, 44, 45. I don't. Like, I don't like them as like a 47 win team, right? If it, I thought the number would be 46 and a half, 47, and then I'd be betting the under, which is a tight window, I'll admit. I don't love this as like a best bet, but I do think if you're going to make a bet, like I have to go over because I can't see them falling that much, even if Randall is not as good and the defensive stuff, which was smoke and mirrors last year's regresses and Kemba isn't able to stay healthy. They still have enough on that team and Tibbs, I think, to be able to get to a 500 mark, which is all that you really need uh, outside of a single win differential. If you can get 41 and a half, like obviously take that one. It's better. But um, I, I feel like this is an overplay, even if the window is a little tight on the other end. Yeah, I'm leaning under. I haven't made a wager here. Again, it's a very talented team, but I don't know if Kemba Walker is going to be a great fit on a Tom Thibodeau team. He is not really what they're looking for. Um, you know, love a team that's got Derrick Rose coming off the bench, but he's always going to be struggling from a health perspective. And the clock has started on Thibodeau. We know that Thibodeau is really good, and but it just gets worse as things goes on. And, you know, year two isn't usually where we start to see cracks. Usually it's a year three, year four thing where people kind of get sick of the messaging and playing too much and get screamed at. But I've got a little bit of that built in. Like you said, they had one of the luckier seasons, if you will, overall last year. If you look at the second half of the season, I think they were much worse than the first half of the season. I think we saw them really get exposed in the playoffs by what the Hawks were able to do. Yeah. So I just – I'm remembering a lot of what I saw in the second half of that team, and I don't necessarily know if they got better. Again, I think it's pretty much the same roster, some of those – nice positions, that little bit of Thibodeau dump comes down. Overall, it feels kind of like a 500-ish team to me. So, you know, I don't hate the over for a team that's so talented in a conference where they're going to have a lot of easy games. And again, it's, you know, home court advantage should be back at Madison Square Garden as well. So I don't mind an overplay here, but it's hard for me to get excited about the Knicks this year. Uh, Phillies at 51 and a half. You've got them marked for 52. I'll make this real simple. I, I'm not betting this until I know the outcome of the Simmons situation. If they get a compliment of 
like role players where I can easily see their fit and their veteran guys that I think can make it a, a good difference. Like, for example, if they pulled off something with the Raptors, I would probably be betting the over. I'd be like, you know what? Siakam is a really good fit next to Embiid. Um, and Fred VanVleet or OJ Ananobi would be a big boost to them on the perimeter. Like either one of those. And I'm betting the over. If they make a swing and they take a compromised kind of superstar talent out there, I don't have a name, but if they went for more of like pure value on the return, but the fit is a little bit more questionable, I'm probably going the other way or staying away. I'm not betting the Sixers until I know the outcome of, of the Simmons trade. That makes all the sense in the world to me. And I agree. If it's something like you just talked about with Toronto, maybe the Spurs trade that's been floated around or like it's Keldon Johnson, one of those guards and a few of those guys and some picks, that'll be kind of interesting. Everyone's been talking about Dame. That'll be fun. I, I think it does make the Sixers much better. I don't know if it makes them a championship team, weirdly enough, like as much as it makes them much better. I'm curious to see how he fits and, you know, Dame, it, it gets is going to get old at some point. It's going to happen. It's going to be quick. And I don't know if he's what I'm willing to buy, but like you said, there's just too much unknown. If they can get a decent haul back for Simmons, the Philadelphia home court advantage is as good as any. The team is really solid. We have Joel Embiid, who's one of the five best players in the league night to night, offensively, defensively. He seemed to figure out the last couple of years against the sound of me knocking on wood, not to jinx myself here, but he seemed to have figured out how to manage his body to play most of the season and have an important impact by also being able to rest for the playoffs. I think overall the team's going to be very good, but like you said, we can't do anything with this. There's no reason to get excited or too depressed really until we know what happens. You know, it's Dame. I'm not. I'm not expecting to get traded. He's made it pretty clear he wants to give this season one more try, and then he can say that he gave them every effort. Like the front office has said, no, 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 Dame. It's not the. It's not the roster. It's just the coach. <laughs> and Dame's like, no, it's the roster, guys. And so now they're going to try it. They made some tweaks on the roster, and they brought in Billups, and they'll either work or it won't, and we'll we'll kind of go from there. If that deal were to get done, though, um, let's say that that Dame just like walked into practice and was like, nope, I'm out, then. Yes, the the over would have value for the 35 seconds it would be available at the books. But then after that, I think <laughs> the problem is then I think it, it's going to get overestimated. And so and then it gets really too sharp. Like that kind of in that situation is mostly like a nightmare. If you're looking about the Sixers win total um, from where I'm at. Final team yeah. in the, the Atlantic is uh, Boston Celtics. I lean towards the over. My problem is I don't see them as a 50 win team. I don't see them as a 45 win team. So I've got this window, they're over under is 45 and a half. I've got a four win differential here to slide this into. It's a little too narrow for me. Um, I lean a little bit. I don't mind if you want to take in and we talked about the adjusted win totals. If you want to put them up and get to 47 and a half, 48 and a half, if you can find a, a market for it, I don't mind taking an over on that. Um, but I don't see them as like a plus 50 win team. So the more, the number here is a little bit too narrow for me to feel good about. You've got them exactly a little bit under actually at 45. This is one of the hardest teams in the league for me to figure out. I don't know if they got better or worse. You know, we took Brad Stevens, who was a really, really good coach. And then we weren't really sure. And now he's the GM president, whatever. And they've got Udoka as the first time head coach. And they continue to trade any point guards and centers for more wings. Um, it's just a funky team. I'm curious to see how it fits. I mean, getting Dennis Schroeder was an absolute steal. You know, I don't mind getting Josh Richardson. I'm curious to see what he can do, if he can sort of refine you know, some of his former glory. It's going to be a really good defensive team, but they didn't fix the biggest problem that they have. And, and for me, the biggest problem with the Celtics every year is this is a team that holds the ball. 
Jason Tatum gets the ball. He holds on to it. He does some Kobe Bryant, triple threat jab step nonsense that, you know, used to be good and used to work really well, especially if you're a highly efficient scorer, which Tatum can be, but you just kill the offense. Anybody cutting, anybody trying to do any sort of backdoor stuff now has to stand and wait for you to go through your whole ordeal. He finishes that, then he kicks it to Jalen Brown, who's trying to do the same stuff. Then they kick it to Marcus Smart, who just puts his head down and kind of dribbles in circles for a little while and, until he figures something out. I mean, it's, there's not a team with a good offensive flow. They're shooting, but not enough shooting. It's just, it's hard for me to get excited about this team. Although when I look at it, I can't deny the amount of talent. I mean, Robert Williams is, if you're looking for something fun to bet, bet him defensive player of the year. There's a chance that he starts and plays like even 25 minutes a game and averages like six blocks before he fouls out. Like this team has, I think a lot of potential, but it's just, I, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, don't. Here's one I do know about uh, a best bet that I actually haven't mentioned yet. I have the Hawks over. You've got them at 47 versus a 46 and a half line. This is mostly to me. It's their schedule is ridiculously easy. They have the fourth easiest rest adjusted strength of schedule, and they have one of the lowest average opponent implied title odds. Um, they face a lot of these teams like Orlando and Charlotte and Washington, who they're better than and should be able to beat up on. They were really good last year about beating the bad teams. That's important to me. Uh, they were really solid. I think I, I kind of look back at the history of guys that kind of made the leap. This is the history of, of what has happened with these young guys that make a leap in the playoffs the following season. They are not as good as they were the previous season in win total, but they still hit their overs. That's what's actually really fascinating about it. The market basically, I, I, ran, I looked at, Damian Lillard. I looked at Derek Rose. I looked at Steph Curry. I looked at um, Dwayne Wade. I looked at all those guys and the pattern basically was the market was too skeptical about them repeating their success of the previous season. And so those kind of combined factors led me to, I think the Hawks are going to be a 50 win plus team. I liked, I bet them to win the division. I think that they are going to be uh, a team that everyone goes like, oh, the Hawks are like for real, for real. They've got everybody locked in. I like what they did in the offseason. They improved. They have two very good options at backup point guard now. Sharif Cooper, great at Summer League. Uh, I'm all in on the Hawks. I like this over. I like them to win the division. I'm buying Hawk stock right now. I think you kind of described me as sort of the skeptic there that, that ends up being wrong in these situations. I think that we're looking at a team that really went above and beyond in a season that felt perfectly for them a lot of different ways. As full disclosure, I am a card-carrying 76ers fan. I'm sitting next to a Moses Malone jersey as yes. I do this. Like, I promise you that Atlanta wasn't as good as they looked in that series. Philly was just as bad, if not yeah. worse. And you come back from that, but on the other side of the coin, I've talked about the idea of having these deep teams with a lot of guys that can come in and fill spots, and that really is what Atlanta has. You know, If Hunter is healthy all season, you're looking at young Bogdanovich, Hunter, Collins, and Capella. That's a really versatile, interesting, talented lineup. DeLon Wright, I think, was a solid pickup. We saw how good Herter can be as kind of a six-man, kind of spark plug off the bench kind of guy. Gallinari, when he's healthy, is interesting. Zhang, I don't mind. We'll see what Okongwu can do when he comes back. It's Overall, a pretty good roster, but as something we've talked about, I I like what you said. Let's play them to win the division. Wait for an alt over, something like that. I think you're going to get better value there because as you look at this team, they're either going to go, I think, solidly, pretty comfortably over this total or be right near it. I mean, I think the total puts them pretty much where they were last year, um, pretty close to it, maybe a little bit better. But 
I think, again, that everyone's kind of got their uh, hawks colored glasses on, if you will, the uh, lemon pepper sauce in their eyes. It's entirely possible that I'm, I'm at that point. Um, you are on the, you, you basically have to choose between the heat and the Hawks. Like everybody's going to, going to filter into one or two categories and you've got the Hawks projected or the heat rather projected at 51 versus a 48 and a half line. Got to be close to close to the best bet for you. Uh, give me your case. I'll give you my thoughts. Yeah. The Miami heat, it's, it's almost the exact opposite of what happened to the Hawks last year. Everything went wrong. Everybody got hurt. Everybody got COVID. They just skip a bunch of games and they would jam them all in at the end of the year. It was just an absolute mess. So you have a team that's got to come back from that. You know, again, home court advantage in Miami should be back. We know that's a thing. Kyle Lowry fits perfect. He is going to walk right into that locker room and I think be totally comfortable. I expect a lot of stuff with him and Jimmy Butler hanging out, having a lot of fun. Bam Adebayo, to me, is almost at this point where he's starting to get frustrating. Like, I think if yep. he was in a lot of other cities, we'd be talking about how he just hasn't broken through. Still has that ability, though. I mean, defensively, he's fantastic. Offensively, he's really versatile, even though he kind of backs up in big moments. Being able to get P.J. Tucker, I think, is going to be really great. I think they just took a team last year that had a lot of bad luck. It was a pretty solid roster overall. And just, you know, made it a little bit better. Bring in Tucker, bring in Lowry, bring in Markeith Morris. Now, I agree with you. Olenek was pretty good. I don't love losing Olenek, but Deadman, I think, is going to be fine. Now that he has a whole season to kind of get used to being there. You know, Tyler Hero gets back to kind of going, the, going to the bench and being that spark plug coming off, which I think will be better for him. You know, Duncan Robinson will continue to be a great shooter. So it's just a, a more talented roster for me overall. And I think it's a team, again, we're kind of remembering what happened last year as opposed to what could happen this year. Again, we've got home court advantage back. Yes, they have the most travel of any East Coast team, but they do every year. I mean, right there in Miami, obviously, you look at a map. So I think overall it's a talented team, and I, I think that they're going to be pretty competitive. I don't know if they're going to be like a dark horse championship team like we talk about them all the time, but I think we're looking at one of the best teams in the East this year. I think the hype on them has, has exaggerated their market a little bit. Um a lot of it for me is like the cost, right? Because it's like, well, they got Lowry. Okay, well, they got Lowry for Dragic, who was amazing for them the last two seasons. Like he's been looking like 2015 Goran. Um, so it's like, is he upgrade for Lowry at this age? And if you paid attention to those Raptors games last season, was Lowry still good? Yeah, great. Yep. But was he a little less? Yeah. Like there's, there were moments where you could be like, man, he's not quite able to do some of the stuff. Um the model is pretty simple here where it's like, look, Kyle Lowry plus Jimmy Butler plus Eric Spolstra is 50 wins. And I, like, I can't argue against it. I can't play the under. I can't bet against Lowry, Butler, and Spo. I just feel like this number is a little high. I feel like, and, and a lot of it is for as much as I try and talk myself into it, they lost a lot of guys here. Like here's an, here's an example. They kept their top three players in, in win shares, which were Butler, Adebayo, and Duncan Robinson. But they lost mm-hmm. their fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth players. Like there's a lot of turnover here. P.J. Tucker is a guy that I absolutely want on roster if you're trying to solve a playoff problem. If you're like, we need a defensive answer here. But regular season, the shooting comes and goes. Isn't always all that impactful. Pretty old. Butler is a Tibbs guy a former guy that played a lot of years for Tibbs who's over 30. And the numbers on those guys is rough. Both he and Lowry have a lot of miles on, on their careers. And that makes me nervous from that perspective. Bam. I am genuinely concerned because there's a lot of like, well, he was just tired. Bam just like, looked. he looked like he had the yips in the playoffs and did not look 
considerably better in the summer in the Olympics. So I have a lot of concerns there. Again, I can't reasonably bet the under this. I cannot, I cannot drink the wine in front of you. Like that's where <laughs> I'm at in this situation. I can't find either combination. Um, but I, I wind up being unable to sell myself on the heat. Uh, I'm not brave enough to bet the under, but I can't bet the over either. Last team is the Charlotte Hornets. Um, I was prepared. The, another team that I was like, Ooh, I'm going to like, hammer the Hornets because I saw how good LaMelo was and I was wrong on him initially and like Gordon Hayward and all this stuff. And then I looked at the rest of the roster and I'm like, Oh no, they got worse. Like they got definably worse. You have them at 35 versus a 38 and a half line. Do you share my skepticism upon analysis of the Charlotte Hornets? Yeah. And it's, you can go back and if you want to listen to me talk about this, go back about a year on my Twitter page, re listen to all the NBA stuff we talked about. I didn't think this team was going to be very good last year. I don't think LaMelo Ball with his inability to shoot and kind of – LaMelo Ball ended up being better than I thought he would be. I just didn't really believe in this team. And then, like you said, they went out and got worse. I mean, Devontae Graham is the best player in the world, but he was a real meaningful piece on this team night to night. Um, Terry Rozier got paid. Guys that get paid have interesting reactions to that. I think last time Charlotte paid somebody, Nicholas Batum basically took two years off. Um, Gordon Hayward, very good. But again, we've seen him struggle from an injury perspective. Wonder how he comes back. And as he gets older, is he going to be more limited defensively? PJ Washington's a nice piece, but are they really going to be starting Mason Plumley or Cody Zeller every night? Like, it's just not a very good team. Again, I think the rest of the East kind of got better around them. And like you said, they didn't get better. They might have gotten worse. I'm not 100% sure on that, but they definitely didn't get better. Is Plumley better than Cody Zeller is a serious question I had to like think about a lot, which shows you the depth to, to which I go into these things. But I, I don't, <laughs> we have to. like, I don't think, I don't think he's better. I don't think I like Mason again a lot. Um, I know I don't want to have to make that decision. Yeah. That's a good point. I know I don't want to have to go every night and go. Ugh. Yeah. Anybody else? A lot of it's like, look, if Hayward plays the members with him and ball without Bismack Biombo, we're great. Hayward's never healthy at this point. You have to be real. You have to be a realist about where Gordon's at in his career until he shows that he can get through a full season healthy. I have to assume he's not going to. And if it's just LaMelo and the rest of them, there's just not like, especially after losing Devonte, they just don't have enough offensive firepower. They just don't, there's just not enough there. I don't like the rookies as much as, as a lot of other people do. Now that's one where I could be wrong, right? Like the rookies are always wild cards. And, right. They're tough. And rookies are always, they, they matter less on top tier teams. Like I care less about the impact of a rookie on a 48 and a half win total team than I do about a team that's just trying to get over 500. that can afford to play them. Right. Um, but I, I just wind up thinking that, yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't, they're 38 and a half. Um, I I'm probably going to bet the under, but probably not aggressively given that I do like LaMelo ball quite a bit. This has been awesome. You've been so great. Thanks for coming on giving your time, Alex Christensen. Uh, you can check him out on the Brown bag bets podcast, as well as at ACE previews at noops on Twitter. We'll have the a link to his bio in the description, Alex. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure, Matt. It was a lot of fun. It's always great to talk basketball, especially with you looking forward to coming back and doing it again. That's going to do it for the Action Network podcast buckets for your Wednesday afternoon. Hope you guys enjoyed it. There is your Eastern Conference breakdown. We'll be back next week with a Western Conference breakdown. Make sure to tune in next week. Make sure to subscribe to all the great shows on the network. And make sure, of course, to download the Action Network app to track your bets. Until then, good luck to all your bets. Have a great week. We'll see you guys again next week when we'll get buckets.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.